texting. <laughs> I bet he's had the Apple Watch forever. Um, when, when I was 14, I met my wife sitting in the front row. We, we met and we started dating in high school and um, she used to buy me presents and shirts and stuff, you know, like a, like a good girlfriend would or should. Um, and she'd buy me shirts and stuff and uh, she'd buy me a, a brand new shirt and then like four days later she would go to school and she would see one of my brothers walking through the hall wearing that shirt. I have six brothers and two sisters. And she'd be like, what are you doing? And then, and then she would buy me another shirt. And then, you know, the first time it was Jake. And then the second time, Gabe would be walking through the, through the hallways with that shirt that she bought me. And she's like, what is the deal? I bought that shirt for you. And I, I had to sit her down and say, listen, listen, baby, listen. This is how this is going to work. I have six brothers and two sisters. You buy me clothes. I wear those clothes. They get put into the laundry. Now, at your house, that might mean something, but here's what it means in my house. There's a pile that's as tall as a human of clothes. All the different people that live in the house, their clothes go into that pile, and then they go into the washing machine, and then they get moved into the dryer, and then when they come, people get up in the morning, and whoever got up first, and whatever's dry, they get to wear that shirt. That's just the way it was. I mean, in my house, it was like, when we were real little, it was like, here's a pile of shoes, and whoever gets up latest gets the worst pair of shoes. It was really not that bad. It's just it's what it felt like. It was like we had these drawers. Remember like the Seinfeld episode where the Chinese guys slept in the big drawers? That's what we slept in. We didn't. It was just, it felt like that. But I was telling that to Katie, and throughout high school and college, um, she got to this point where we knew we were going to get married, and she made a promise to me. And she promised me, she said, Joel, when we get married, I will always do your laundry I will always fold your clothes. You will always have nice, clean things. And can I tell you, to this day, 12 years later, she has kept her promise. It is, wow. I don't know how I would make it through life without that, Katie. I don't know how. I just, it is the most beautiful thing in the world because, first of all, part of the promise is more like her being a controlling person because she doesn't want me to do the laundry because when I fold things, it just doesn't work. But then when she folds them, it's like, and then there's like a stack of T-shirts that are literally 10 feet tall, and it's perfect. And she's like, don't mess up my T-shirt pile. I'm like, I need to wear something. But she makes this promise to me, and it's a beautiful thing when someone makes a promise, and then they keep that promise. It's like, woo, this is good. Man, it just keeps on happening. There's been a couple times where you've slipped up. I've been meaning to talk to you about it. <laughs> Generally, though, usually. Oh, yeah, the socks. Yeah, she, she folds my socks inside out. It's, it's annoying. Stop. All right. Um, but, uh, but. Uh, promises that are kept are beautiful. They're refreshing. Uh, a couple years ago when Tyler Joseph, the lead uh, singer to 21 Pilots, he was on our, actually on our staff. And when they sold out the Newport, uh, it 
they got really big. And then the LC Pavilion, then they got even bigger. And everybody got excited about 21 Pilots. And then it was like, boom, they were out of here. They were all over the globe. And so one of the times that he came back, we had this conversation. And I got to this moment that I was hoping and praying for where I was going to try to corner him and make him make a promise to me. And I, I said, I don't know how we got into the conversation, but we were talking about um, the big venues that he would sell out. And I said, hey, man, if there's one thing that I want from you, will you, will you promise me this? Will you promise that when you guys uh, play at Madison Square Garden that I can sit in the front row? And he was like, really, man, that's what you want? I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want to go to New York City. I want to sit in Madison Square Garden, the, the most famous venue of ever, and I want to be in the front row when you guys play that arena. And he was like, okay. He was like, okay. And it, it's like, it's, it's awesome. I was like, man, like, I think I even went home and told Kate. I was like, dude, I'm going to get to the front row. Like, he's going to let me be in there. It's going to be so great. It'll be such a great trip. We'll run into Jay-Z and Beyonce, I'm sure. And, like, it's just going to be awesome. And, like, so, so that has not happened yet. So every time I see him, I know he's going through a lot, and he's on the West Coast, and he's so busy. But I want to bring him back to the promise. Like, you, you know when you sell out Madison Square Garden, like me, right? You remember? And so this last time I saw him, he, he, they're, they're, they're about to sell at the shot, and they have this concert at the shot. I'm thinking maybe he'll, he'll try to switch it up on me and make it that, like I get to sit in the front row at that concert. And he didn't say anything about it, so I'm concerned. I'm concerned he's forgot. And, uh, but it's one thing when someone makes a promise and keeps it. It's another thing when someone makes a promise that hasn't come true. And it's a whole other thing when someone makes a promise and then they just can't keep it, right? It's just difficult. It's like, wow. So there's making a promise and keeping it. There's making a promise and waiting for it. Then there's someone makes you a promise, and it's like brutal when it doesn't happen. And one of my favorite movies is the movie Armageddon. It's a great story about a promise that didn't come true but that ultimately ended up good. Love the story. It's the only time Bruce Willis has made me cry. I mean, just like, wow. I mean, like, um, uh, what is that movie? Die Hard didn't make me cry. But like, like Bruce Willis in the movie, he, he, he's on the meteor, if you've seen it, and he's going to save the world. And for some reason, he has to stay there. And before he got to that moment, he had his daughter, Gracie, and he made this promise to Gracie. He said, I'm coming back. He made the promise, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I promise you that I'm going to go save the world, and then I'm coming back. And then he ends up on the meteorite, and he has to stay there and set off the bomb to save the world from this giant rock in the sky. And for some reason, the satellites all work, if you've seen the movie, and he gets to have a conversation with his daughter. And Bruce Willis is sitting there, and his daughter Grace is sitting there, and he has to look at her, and he's got a tear in his eye. And every time it's on, I cry, and I'm just like, man. And he says to her, I'm going to have to break that promise because I'm not coming back. And she cries and grabs the screen and, you know, all the people are watching and it's sad. And then he, you know, blows up the rock and the world is saved. And it's just this amazing moment in this movie. And uh, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy to watch something great come from a lack of a promise being held. But still, it stinks for Gracie because her promise didn't get kept. And ETA is about... Jesus making a promise that he will come back. And life doesn't always work out the way that we think it's going to work out. Sometimes people make us promises and they keep them. Sometimes people make us big promises and we're waiting for them. And sometimes people make promises and they break those promises and it really hurts. And so the question is, Jesus, you made a promise 
that after this past weekend that we celebrated 2,000 years ago when you died on a cross and rose from the dead, you made a promise to us that you're coming back. And my question for you and my question for me and my question to Jesus is, is that all talk? Is Jesus going to keep his promise? Jesus, are you really going to do what you said you were going to do? Man, if there was ever a promise that you've made, this is a big, big setup. And we're living in that moment of a promise being made and is it going to come true? You know, the scripture talks about Jesus returning a lot. So the Bible is 66 different books, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, thousands of verses in the Bible, different sections, different sentences. And Jesus and his second coming, or the second coming of Christ, or the return of Jesus is talked about a lot. Look at this for a second. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible, that's the entire Bible, one out of every 30 verses in the Bible, the second coming or the return of Jesus is talked about. must be pretty important. Listen to this. 300 times in 216 New Testament chapters. So in the New Testament, 27 books, 216 chapters. 300 times, that means multiple times in some of those chapters, the second coming and the return of Christ is mentioned, talked about, alluded to. Man, okay, a lot has happened, Jesus. This next piece seems to be pretty important, quite a promise that you've made. 27 of the 27, 23 of the 27 New Testament books talk about the second coming of Christ. Jesus, you made a big promise. Are you going to keep your promise? ETA, when are you coming back? How are you coming back? I want to take you guys to the moment when Jesus made this promise. When he actually told his closest friends that he would come back. I want to instill in all of us this morning a sense of reality around the weight and the meaning of the promise that Jesus made. And you can see when he makes this promise in the book of John in the New Testament, in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. And what's happened here in in, in this storyline is that Jesus is in Holy Week. He has got into Jerusalem, and he has his friends, his closest followers, and they're in Jerusalem, and they're getting ready to have this supper that we know as the Last Supper, where they're going to celebrate the Passover. And he brings his friends to this room to have this celebration. And in a moment of him... Wanting to communicate. You you, you have to understand the weight of this. Jesus wants to communicate what's most important in the next couple hours to his closest followers. So he is going to do some things and say some things that we can hang our hat on and have hung our hat on for 2,000 years. And so Jesus, in a moment of trying to communicate how important the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God is like, he does something that's totally crazy for him to do to his disciples at the beginning of this dinner. The scriptures say in John chapter 13 that Jesus, when he's up there, that he sees all of his disciples and he makes this decision to wash their feet. Now, maybe you've been a part of a feet 
washing ceremony. Maybe you grew up in the church and you had a, a small group or you, you were in your student ministry and, and you had your, your feet washed. And that is something that happens symbolically today because of what happened in John 13. But in the moment that Jesus did it, it was really, really, really different than probably anything you and I have ever experienced, if you have experienced that at all. Because what happened in those days is people didn't get to shower like you and I do every single day. They, 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 would, they would literally go days, sometimes week at a time, before they would shower. So they would get dirty, they would get dusty, they would get sweaty, and they walked around outside in essentially a desert. And so what would happen is to freshen up, a shower in those days was getting your feet washed. And so what Jesus did is he literally took pieces of his own clothing and he took a big mason round jar with water in it and he got on the floor with his closest followers. This is the guy who's the king of everything. This is the leader of the world, not just a great king. This is the king of kings. And he gets on the floor and he starts to scrub the disciples' feet. So it's, it's not like they have pedicures, and it's not like they wear shoes and socks, and it's not like they put footies on when they walk around. It's like, it's like they put those rubber things over their shoes when they walk through dirt if they're a businessman. No, 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 no. Sandals in the dirt, dirty feet, no pedicure, dirty men walking around. And Jesus gets on the floor, and he takes time and washes every single one of their feet as if to say, I am here to serve you. I am here to love you. I am here to wipe away your sins. And in that moment, he flips the kingdom of God upside down and says, you see, I'm the different king because I'm here to do something that's really, really special, and it's a model for you. And what he says to them, he says, from now on, what you need to do is you need to wash each other's feet. You need to treat each other with that type of love. He gets into this conversation and he gets to Peter, one of these followers of Jesus that a lot of us have heard about. And Peter argues with Jesus. Jesus is trying to show him what the kingdom of God is like. And Peter argues with him. And he's like, no, 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 don't wash my feet. You can't wash my feet. I'm not, so you can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, you need me to wash your feet. You need me to wash your feet. He's like, fine, he fights through it. Then Jesus, after washing their feet, you just need to get to this moment. He tells them that he is going to die for them. And they're like, I want you to get in the disciples' mind. You just washed our feet. You're serving us. Like, who are you? This is crazy. Why would you do that? We should be doing that for you. And then he says, this is just a sample. This feet washing thing is just a sample. I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to die. And that death is going to bring you life. And Peter, who already had a problem with him washing his feet, says, no, no, no. You are not going to die for us. That is crazy. Like, I will let you wash our feet, but you are not going to die for us. And Jesus is like, Peter, you, you, need to, you need to chill, man. You need to stop. I am trying to show you how important the next series of events is. And Peter's like, I'll die. I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, man, dude, you don't want to go there. He's like, I'll die for you. You don't want to go there. I'll die for you. He's like, you're going to deny me three times in the next 24 hours. And all the disciples hear that. He washed their feet. 
Then he says he's going to die for them. Then he tells Peter he's going to deny them. And they're all watching this. And they get to this moment where they're troubled. The disciples are frustrated. They're confused. And the man who is humble enough to just wash their feet is now telling him he's going to go die. And they're sitting in the room and they're going, this is weird. This doesn't make sense. Bring what, 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 what is happening? And they're frustrated. And they're confused. And then John 14 happens. And he, in the moment of the greatest service that he's done for them is washing their feet and telling them about dying on a cross. He tells them a promise that those pieces can lead them to believe. It's beautiful. This is what he does. He says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, you guys. I know you're afraid, and I know everything that I've said to you doesn't make sense. You believe in God, believe also in me. I hope you understand at this time that I'm God. What I'm about to say is really, really important. My Father's house has many rooms. Whoa, 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 Jesus, wait. You just washed our feet. You just talked about dying. My Father's house has many rooms. Now you're talking about your dad's house. Jesus jumps from earth to heaven in one sentence. Believe in me. My Father's house. Whoa, 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 just, just get in the moment. Just wash my feet. I'm dying on a cross in my Father's house. Oh, heaven gets popped up into the picture, into the conversation. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. And he says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You just did the most subservient, wonderful, beautiful thing in the world by washing our feet. And you just told us that you're going to die for us. And you're also going to go and prepare a place for us to come be with you? Wow. And he says, and if I'm going to go and do that, then I'm going to come back. I will come back. Look at this. I will come back. And take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I will come back. I want you to see how much I love you. You see, I'm going to serve you. I serve you. I'll wash your feet. I'm going to die on a cross for you. I want you to see how much I love you. I love you so much I would do anything for you. I'm going to die for you. And guess what? There's another part. I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to me. We are going to be together. I'm coming back. In one scene, the servant of all becomes the savior of all. He says, I came to save you from your sins, to wash away your sins, but one day I'm coming back to save you for eternity, to be with me. Do you see how I orchestrated this moment? I want you to see feet Cross, heaven, that's where you're going. Beautiful moment. You see, up until the time of Christ, in the Old Testament, there were over a hundred prophecies or promises that told of Jesus Christ coming to earth, being born of a virgin in a place called Bethlehem, dying on a cross, over a hundred. 
And when Jesus is in this moment with his friends in the upper room, he has satisfied a hundred different promises. A hundred. And then he adds one more. One more big one. One more important one. Several hundred years before the time of Christ, Israel was in trouble. And there was a man named Isaiah. And in a book that he wrote... He tells a promise of Jesus, and this is so cool. It's the promise of Jesus' first coming, and what happens is, is it butts right up against the promise of his second coming. And when men in the Old Testament would write these prophecies, these promises, it was mysterious. I can't sit here and tell you that when Isaiah wrote this, that he completely understood all that he was writing. But God used him to tell this amazing track and trajectory for God. And in this prophecy that you're going to see in Isaiah chapter 9, you will see that the people of Israel are getting ready to be attacked by the Assyrians. And Isaiah says, God has a plan for deliverance. And it's not just deliverance from these men that will destroy our town. It is deliverance from the biggest problem in the world, eternal separation from God. And so in Isaiah, an already not yet type of promise comes to life. And what you see is the promise of Jesus' first coming and then followed by the second. I want you to look at this. It says this, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now what is that? That's Christmas. We celebrate that all the time, every year. But everything after that is something that hasn't happened yet. When Jesus came into town During the time of Holy Week, some of the Israelites thought that this next part was happening. But what they didn't know is that he had to die on a cross and raise from the dead first, and that he would make this other promise and come back. So they don't completely understand the path and the trajectory of God. But ultimately, you have the first coming of Christ and then the second coming of Christ. And look what it says. This is what Jesus is going to do. This is his promise. And the government will be on his shoulders. What that means is that God is going to be in control of all other authorities. That he is going to be the authority of authorities. That he's just going to be able to walk around with all authority and power. He's coming back. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Just just get the titles for Jesus when he comes back. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we've had some good presidents, but nothing compares to he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When is the last time that you turned on the TV for any period of time and seen nothing but peace? When Jesus comes back, He is going to save us. He's going to fix things. He is going to solve the brokenness. He came the first time. There was a hundred prophecies leading up to that. He fulfilled them, and now there's more to come. Look what this says. It says that he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. To the Israelites, that's like, wow, David was the best king that they had ever had. He sat on a throne, and there's no one that could be better than David but the Messiah. And this is the son that's born in Bethlehem that is going to sit on a throne that means he's the leader of all. He's 
solving all problems, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. A promise to forever. A promise to forever. Forever. Jesus died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he is going to come back. And when he comes back, he is going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, forever. This is a promise exactly the same as the hundred that came before it. And it's the promise that Jesus made to his closest followers in his most intimate moment. Now, if he doesn't keep this one, if there's one promise or one promise person, one promiser that you could trust, it's Jesus. You're going to have people that make you promises and break them. You're going to have people that make you promises and you're waiting on them. And you're going to have people that make you promises and keep them. But in all of your life, there is one person that has made a promise to you that is going to keep it forever. And it's Jesus. Jesus has kept all the promises that he said he would keep up until this moment. You see, there is still time for Jesus to fulfill the rest of his promises. His promise to come back. Jesus will keep his promise to come and get us. You see, in this end time teaching, it's interesting to so many people. You hear different leaders try to tell people that Jesus is coming back and when it's going to happen and when Armageddon's going to happen and when the earthquake's going to happen and when and when and when and when and when. And everybody wants to know when. And everybody wants to understand. You know what is more important than when? Who? Jesus Christ is going to be the one who comes back to get us. And there's so many different details. You know, maybe you grew up in the church and talk about the tribulation, the great tribulation, and the pre-trib rapture, and the post-trib rapture, and millennial kingdom, and the new heaven and the new earth, and all of that is in there some way, and it's a lot more mysterious than a lot of people will lead you to believe. But you know what's not mysterious? He's coming. He made a promise. He keeps his promises. He's done it hundreds and hundreds of times, and he's going to do this next one. Jesus Christ is coming back. Boom. Everybody say this. Jesus is coming back. Say it with me. Jesus is coming back. Real. Real as we are sitting in this room today, Jesus Christ will return. In this series, I'm going to teach you three things that are the most important things about the end of all that we have here. And this is the first one, this right here. It's happening. He made a promise, and it's happening. I want to take you to this last piece before this amazing future piece that's about to come. When, when Jesus dies on a cross and then he, he raises from the dead, then what happens is, is he actually travels around hundreds of miles. He travels around. He ends up in Galilee. He goes, he goes to different places. And 
And he sees people, he talks to people, and people see that he is Jesus. And there comes a point, it's really, really cool, where he comes to his closest followers, and he does this amazing thing. He says, remember I told you about me? Remember I told you that, that I love you and I washed your feet? Remember I told you to go and tell everyone about me? He goes, basically, now's the time. It's time. It is time for you guys to go and tell everyone about me. It's time for you to go out to your neighbors and tell them about me. It's time for, for you to go to the country next door and tell them about me. It's time for you to go to the ends of the earth, earth and tell them about me. It's time. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And when he's saying this, you just need to get this. He starts to elevate off the ground. Jesus literally defies gravity. Now, Jesus is talking to them while he's in midair. And Jesus has done some amazing things up to this point, but this is pretty cool. He's, he's walked on water. He's healed the, like, the lame. He's, he's helped the blind to see. He's fed 5,000 people. He rose Lazarus from the dead. He died on a cross that he rose from the dead. Now he's going around and he's telling everybody all that stuff, so important, amazing stuff, especially the raising from the dead thing. You need to go tell everyone about that. He raises off the ground. And this is called the ascension. What happens is he goes, go and tell everyone about me. And he just goes up into the sky. And the disciples, you just need to get that at this moment. The disciples are just standing there and they're watching Jesus ascend into heaven. They're going, oh, man. It's like a balloon, Sarah, but balloons fly away. They're looking. They're standing there. And Jesus is like literally getting to max Q, right? Like he's getting ready to break through the atmosphere. And the the disciples are sitting there watching. And and they get to the point where they they don't know if they can see him anymore. And then one goes, oh, I can still see him. I can still see him. And they just stand there. And they go, wow. And this is so cool. Jesus does this really fun little reminder of his promise. They're standing there, and it's, it's like this. It's like he literally steps in the door of heaven. And he turns around, and they're all standing there watching him. And he's got like two angels. I'm just calling Michael and Gabriel, just for fun. And guys, come here. Go down there and talk to him. And he says this to him. He says, tell him what I told him right after I wash their feet. Just remind them. I just want you to get them out. Jesus just went up into heaven, and he already wants them to know about this promise. So what happens is, is like in my mind, it's Michael and Gabriel literally like do like a can opener out of the door. And they just like, they land on earth. And the men are looking up into heaven, and they tap them on the shoulder. And this is what it says. It says, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus, mm, this same Jesus, the Jesus who fed 5,000, who, who healed the lame and helped the blind to see and walked on water and raised the dead and raised to life himself, the same guy, that Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will what? Will. Come back. He promised he's coming the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Wow. Now, guys, what did he tell you to do? He told us to go and do this and this. He's coming back. You go do what you're supposed to do. He's going to do what he does. You know why? 
Because Jesus has always kept his promise. He's not like anyone else you know. He said he's going to do it. He is going to do it. My goal for you today is to hang your hat on that. He's coming back. No, no, no. As real as we are in the room, feet on the ground. The way that he went up, he's going to come down. And in one moment, Jesus Christ is going to put his feet, boom, right down on earth and walk around just like as real as we are in the room today. And you think that the resurrection was big. You think that the cross was big. You think that raising Lazarus to life was big. You think that walking on water was big. None of that is even close to as big, as exciting, as real as what is coming in the future when Jesus comes back. The cross, the resurrection is enough for us to gather for 2,000 years. It's enough momentum for us to gather, to come together, to build buildings, to feed hundreds, millions of people, to, to die for. It's all of that. The cross and the resurrection has shifted earth in a way that nothing else has. The calendar and the lives that are on it. And the second coming of Christ is going to be the biggest piece yet. It's time for us to put our minds on that. Jesus is coming back. It's real. Next week, you can tell all your friends because I'm going to tell you when he's coming back. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We know you're coming back. We know it's real. I pray that our hearts would just live. And, and if, there's, if there's anything we've ever depended upon, we would know, like, you, you're dependable. You're going to keep your promises. You are actually going to do what you've said you're going to do. You mentioned it so many times. You've kept so many promises. We have no reason to believe anything other than you are going to come back the same way that you left. Help us to know that. Help us to reflect that. Help us to live that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.